0: Amen. How are we doing? That's good. I like it today. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Glad you're with us. Uh, we're celebrating three baptisms today, so that's going to be exciting here in just a moment. Um, we also have Ash Wednesday, as we mentioned, and I just wanted to share a little bit about why we do Ash Wednesday. Um, we're, we're not Catholic, um, and, and it's not really uh, necessarily about being Catholic to celebrate Ash Wednesday, um, but, but it's, it's an opportunity to be reminded of our mortality and our sin and our, our desperate, desperate need for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in our place. And so Ash Wednesday gives us the opportunity to remember from dust you were made and to dust you shall return, Right? and to, to reflect on that, hopefully so that the cross of Christ looms larger and larger in our hearts and our minds as we, as we think on that, as we look forward to celebrating Good Friday and Easter Sunday and all that, that Christ's death and resurrection means for us, uh, much, of which, much of which we're going to talk about today. We're going to take a little break from Mark We'll be looking at Romans 8, uh, verse 1 here in just a moment. Uh, we also have the baby dedication class, and I just wanted to r- just give another little extra word there to just say that's open to anyone, anyone who wants to come. But it will be specifically kind of catered to parents who are kind of parenting, you know, newborns, toddlers, uh, younger kids. But but there will be some principles that would apply uh, for sure to anyone. Uh, and definitely, if you plan on dedicating your child as a, as a member of the body here, you need to come. It's, a, it's required that you're you're there. Um, and the last announcement, this is breaking news, folks. This didn't happen. In, it's not in your bulletins. You will find this nowhere else but listening to me right now. We, uh, the Brazil team will be hosting a little pancake lunch after the gathering next week to, as a fundraiser. Um, so that's why it's going to cost you 10 bucks per person to come. But all those funds will help support the Brazil team. Um, or $20 for a family. So, um, or, 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 so whatever's cheaper there, right? 10, $10 for an individual, 20 for a family. Whatever works out best for, for your family, that's how it'll roll. Um, and we will serve until we run out of stuff. So hope uh, many of you will be able to stick around and uh, have some lunch with us. All right? Cool. Um, it, it's a rather common kind of pastoral conversation that I have with folks where I might ask a question, like, how, how, how is your relationship with God, right? How are you, and, and how, how's your relationship with Jesus? How are you doing spiritually? And oftentimes, I'll, you know, I'll get the, the answer kind of, you know, hey, I'm doing, I'm doing well, or not so good, right? Th- those are kind of the, 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 the spectrum of answers. Things are going really well right now. Things aren't so good. And then I might ask a follow-up question, such as, well, why would you say that? And then this is when almost everybody, no matter whether they're doing well but they're not doing so well, they start responding with things like this. Well, I'm doing well because I've really been in the Word a lot lately, right? I've had a lot of consistent time just reading through the Bible. My prayer life's going well. Or I'm not doing so well because it's been a, it's been a while since I've even picked up my Bible. It's basically like a, you know, a dust magnet paperweight on my shelf right now. And, and so I'm not doing so well. And, and I, my prayer life's so hit and miss, you know. I'm not doing very, very well. Uh, however they might feel about the relationship with God, almost always they start trying to just base it on their own performance. Right? I've been doing these things. I've not been doing these things. So I'm either doing well or I'm not doing well. And this taps into something that I think tends to be true in most of us. That somewhat unconsciously. right? We, we have this tendency to think that the cross of Christ is what gets us in to the family of God, that's how we're saved, that's how God accepts us and, 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 and welcomes us into his family, but however, after that, it's all on us to maintain that kind of right standing with God, all right, we need to do well, we need to be in the word, we need to pray, we need to go to church, we need to give, we need to serve, we need to be in community, all those sorts of things, that's what keeps me okay with God, and if I'm not doing those things, then I'm not doing so hot, um, I'm not doing well. With, with him. He, he's, he's maybe not so happy about me, uh, and we're not, we're not good. Uh, we sort of function like, like that in our faith, the gospel is only an entry point. It's only the entry point to how we get in. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was only enough to get me in, but I've got to come up with something. I've got to do something to, to keep me in, right? To keep me in. And, and I want to say this very clearly to you. That's a lie, right? That's idolatry. It's sin within you to lead you away from abiding in Christ to then try to abide in your own performance, your own religious doing or not doing um, as it would be. And if you think about it, religion's often the tool of the self-righteous person to really worship and exalt themselves, right? To worship self, not God. In Philippians chapter 3 uh, verses 4 through 9, uh, the Apostle Paul lays out all of his kind of religious pedigree, Right? He, his performance as an example for what a religious person can accomplish if they really put their, their mind and their heart and their, their being into it. Right, This is what they can do with all that discipline and hard work. But at the end of the passage, Paul lists out all these things. And at the end of the passage, Paul says that all of his religious performance, all of his effort, his exhaustive checklist of accomplishments amounts to nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. He even goes on further and, and calls it, all of it, all that doing, all that religious performance, he calls it all rubbish or dung. Right? We know what that means, right? Do I have to get real particular? We want to keep it PG. Right? So... Dung, right? Think about it. all your church attendance, all your religious performance, all your coming to the gathering, your giving, your serving, your attending community group, your reading your Bible, your praying, your, your personal, your personal time with the Lord, your quiet time. It's rubbish. It's dung if you don't have Jesus. If it's all just a checklist that you are going through so you can feel good about yourself, so you can feel like things with me and God are good, it's dung. That's what it is. The message you see in the book of Romans, and beautifully summed up in this one singular verse we're going to look at today, is that we are saved, sanctified, and sustained by what Jesus did for us on the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. To add to the gospel, to add to the finished work of Jesus, is to rob him of his glory, to rob him of his sufficiency. To save you, to sanctify you, to sustain you by His grace. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is now no condemnation. Not because of how you've been doing, or how you've not been doing, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. That He has set you free from the law of sin and death. Your sin in the past, forgiven. right? Your, Your current struggles, covered. Your future failures, paid in full, all by the glorious, infinite, matchless grace uh, and the finished work uh, of Jesus Christ. That's the marvelous truth you're going to see in this, this one little verse, right? Romans 8.1, turn there in your Bibles, hopefully many of you have it memorized by heart, but uh, page 944 uh, is the page number that you'll find it in, Romans 8.1. Let's say it together. It'll be a short time standing together today, right? Some days we're reading a lot, but today it's short. Romans a 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time to come and, and just be reminded of, of what you have provided for us in your Son. That Jesus is our everything. He's not part of the plan of our salvation. He is our salvation. His life, His death, His resurrection in our place is what saves us, is what justifies us, makes us okay with you. It's what sanctifies us and enables us to grow in your grace and, and look more like your son. Um, Father, he, it's everything. Would you help us to, to understand the, the beauty and the meaning of, of what it means that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And would you let that shape our hearts and, and renew our hearts, not to perform, but to out of love, obey and serve and, and, and just relate to you with great joy because of your grace, because you've already made it all right. You've, you've done it all for us. Lord, let us respond and live all of our lives for you. We pray that that's what you would do in our hearts today, that you would move us more in that direction. Let us rest in your grace. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may have a seat. Now, one thing that's important for us always to remember in the Bible is that when we're looking at our Bibles and we see Romans 8, verse 1, right, verse 2, like the, the chapter and verse breaks, the way the Bible is broken up for us, that's not inspired, right? That, that came later. The, the Bible came first, right? The letter to the Romans was the letter to the, the, the Christians in, in Rome, right? The church in Rome. It's one long letter, it's all one letter. There's no breakup in it, right? So we added that, people added that after the inspiration of the Scripture, to help us know where to find things, to help us kind of navigate it a little bit. But that that part's not inspired. The arrangement's not inspired. And so we need to remember that, that Romans 7 and Romans 8 are not these distinct, separate things, but rather they go together. They go together. And the word therefore, right? Famous... A little Bible teaching that I received when I first became a Christian. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is it there for, right? And, and what the word therefore is, always therefore, is to remind us that it's connected to something that has happened right before. And, and so Paul actually says at the end of chapter 7, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then without any break, right? Without stop, new letter. No, altogether, there is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The reality is that believers are in a state of conflict, but not in a state of condemnation. There's a war going on within your soul. Your your flesh battles against you. Your your fleshly desires battle against the reality of who you are now in Christ as a Christian. And and who God says that you are. There's a conflict going on, but there's not condemnation. Even the most intense moments, even in the most intense moments of conflict, the Christian is still justified. That is accepted by God. You're counted righteous. God says, you and I were okay. Even in the most intense moments of that conflict, even in the midst of your sin and failure, if you're in Christ, you're still justified. No condemnation, right? That's the great truth of Romans eight one. But to really understand this, we're going to ask a, a few questions of the text. We're going to ask three of them in particular. It's really convenient. Um, first, what does no condemnation mean? What does no condemnation mean? This is language about position, right? It's about our standing as believers. Condemnation is a legal term, right? It's the verdict of you, you are guilty. You've been found Guilty, declared guilty. It's to rule against the defendant. To not be condemned is to be free from any debt, free from any just penalty. Right? No one has any charges against you when you're not condemned. There are no charges that will stick anyway. They might throw them at you, but they, they fall away because they're not true of you anymore. A person who is in Christ Jesus is, is not under any condemnation from God. The punishment has been taken away away. right? It wasn't just a race. It's been absorbed. God has forgiven you. God has pardoned you. This is, this is tremendously good news. There is no condemnation. It means that God has nothing against you, Christian. Nothing against you. He, he finds no fault in you. He has nothing to punish you for. But there's more to what Paul is saying here than, than that. He's not simply saying that Christians are not condemned. The wording here is even stronger. It's much stronger. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation. He's saying that for those in Christ, there is no condemnation at all. Right? There is no condemnation at all. Here's what he's saying to you, believer in Christ. There's no condemnation anymore for you. Ever. There's no, it no longer exists for you. This is different from how I think most of us tend to think and, and to relate to God, right? I think most of us understand and feel that when you come to faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You've been pardoned uh, but that, that, that for what you've done. But, but, but even though we know that we're forgiven a lot, we still feel marked by our sin. Right? We still feel marked by that. Here's, here's what I mean. We still feel like that's kind of on us. That's a blemish on us. That we go anywhere we go, we're still kind of marked by the one who did that, right? The one who didn't do that. The one who is this, right? This is kind of part of who I am. We feel marked by our sin. Like it's a mark on our record. Even though God says, I forgive you, we still kind of feel that way. Or maybe you receive his forgiveness, but then you go on trying your best to just kind of, you know, obey and repay God, if you will, and doing your best to live the life that you should live as a Christian. And then Romans 7 comes along into your life. Right? Romans 7, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. This, This battle with the flesh and you fall on your face in sin. And so, of course, you have to go back and you ask God for forgiveness so that you cannot be condemned. Right? God, don't condemn me for what I just did. I know I wasn't condemned a minute ago, but now I feel condemned. Don't condemn me. But even then, you sort of feel marked by that. You feel marked by that failure. And this is the basic kind of pattern I think most of us operate in. Constantly moving in and out of, right, condemnation. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God's Word says to us in Romans 8, one, It says, Paul says here, there is now no condemnation. And he, when he says that, he means it. This isn't like just like self-help feel good about yourself, talk. He means it. He means this is truth. There is therefore now no condemnation. He doesn't say that there's no condemnation now. He doesn't say you're not condemned. He says there's no more condemnation. That's what he's saying. If you're in Christ, condemnation has been, it doesn't even exist for you. It's gone. It's been categorically removed from you. It's no longer a realm that you even have the possibility of living in. You, You can never ever be condemned again. There is therefore now no condemnation for you. In other words, you're not in any way marked by your sin. You're not marked by your sin. You've been covered with the perfection of Christ. His perfect record of righteousness. There is no condemnation for you. Your marks were put on him what 2 Corinthians 5:21 tells us we read that earlier in our liturgy this morning, right? He has taken the marks of your sin. He has taken the condemnation of your sin. There is no more for you, you're marked by Christ's love, marked by his righteousness, by his grace, by his forgiveness. Condemnation no longer exists for you if you're in him. That's what no condemnation means. But here's a second question to help us understand this verse. Why is there no condemnation for believers? Why? Why? Well, let me answer this question by actually continuing to answer the first one a little bit. Um, I know that's confusing, but we'll tell you a little bit more about what no condemnation means. Let me give you another version of no condemnation, another, another scripture that we see this same idea of no more condemnation. Nothing can ever bring you back under it. Uh, if you look at First 1 John 1, nine. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, when you first look at 1 John 1.9, uh, you just take it at face value. Uh, this, this is often what we do. We, we kind of read it in a certain way, and, and it, it's actually kind of crippling for a lot of us. Especially, this was w- the way it was for me when I first became a Christian. I'd read 1 John 1.9, and I was crippled. I was like, oh, Wow. So anytime I sin, I have to immediately confess that sin in order to be forgiven. And if I don't immediately confess that sin in this way, like I'm, I'm not forgiven. And, and, you know, and, and I need to kind of beg for help uh, to be forgiven. And maybe God will give it to me. Maybe he won't, right? That, that's kind of the mindset that I think a lot of us, see. we, re- we read it, we say, see, see, it says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us. See, this means that if you sin, you are condemned unless you confess your sin and then you are forgiven, right? Wrong, wrong. That's not what it, it's saying here. If that's what you think, then, then you're not listening or looking at it carefully enough. That might be how other, how other religions work, but that's not the way the gospel works. That's not the way Christianity works it's not based on you doing this in order to get this it's all based on what christ has done for you it doesn't say if you confess your sins he's faithful and merciful to forgive you forgive you your sins right it says nothing about that it's not saying hey oh lord please forgive me by your mercy would you reconcile me cleanse me embrace me because of your mercy I'm not saying God's not merciful. He absolutely is, is merciful, but this is not talking about mercy. That's not what this verse is talking about. John says he will forgive you your sins, not because of his mercy, but because of his justice. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Here's what this actually means. If you come to Christ and you confess and you ask for forgiveness of your sins, right? Right? And, and hear this reverently. This is not me saying we get the boss God around. But it's just saying what the Bible is saying here. But if you as a Christian come and you ask for forgiveness, it would be utterly unjust for God not to forgive you. He would be unjust if he says, no, I won't forgive you. Here's why. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ now stands... By the Father's right hand, right? As our advocate, as our great high priest who's gone before us. And the Bible tells us that he is praying for us. What is Jesus praying for you at the, at the right hand of God the Father when you ask for forgiveness? What is he praying on your behalf, right? When you sin and you say, oh Lord, please forgive me. Is Jesus at the right hand of God the Father? Like, oh Father, please would you just extend mercy this one time? I I know that they've done this like a, this is the thousandth time that they've continued to struggle in the same way. But but if you would pretty please, just out of out of the bottom of your heart, out of the mercy of your heart, Father, if you would just forgive them one more time, would would you do that for them? Is that what Jesus prays for you? Is that what you think He prays for you? That's not what Jesus says at all. That's not what First John one nine says. That's not what Romans eight one says. When when Jesus Christ prays, when you sin and you say, God, please forgive me, Jesus Christ simply turns to the Father and says, I've paid for that. Right? I lived the righteous life they couldn't live in their place. And I died the death that they deserve for that sin. That penalty is paid in full. There's no more wrath from God for you because Jesus absorbed all of it. In your place. Jesus simply says to the father. I've paid for that. They're forgiven. They're covered. Therefore. Embrace. This sister of mine. Embrace. This brother of mine. That's what Jesus says. If you're a Christian. If you're in Christ. God forgives you. Not out of his mercy. But out of his justice. Out of his justice. It was in his mercy that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live for you the life you never could. It was in mercy that Jesus went to the cross willingly and suffered and died in your place in your place for your sins. It was in mercy and great love that he did that. But because he's done that, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. There's no more condemnation for you because Jesus was condemned. There, there's no more debt. There's no more mark on your record because Jesus paid your debt in full. There's no more penalty because Jesus suffered in your place. The just penalty that you deserved. Jesus paid it all, so there is therefore now no condemnation for you, Christian. Not for the sins of your past, not for the sins that you are struggling in today, not for the sins of your future. There's no more condemnation because Jesus was condemned in your place. When you are in Christ, God's justice demands that you are forgiven. His justice demands that you are forgiven. One last question to look at. What were the implications of this? Right? Think of it. The moment you come to know Jesus Christ, condemnation is gone forever for you. Right? That's what we're saying here. That's what the Bible is saying here. There's no more condemnation for you. There can never again be condemnation for you if you're in Christ. So in its place, what is there? Nothing but unending acceptance, unending approval, unending welcome for you into the family of God. Unending, unshakable acceptance from the creator of the universe. And if you think about it, the the implications of this reality are beyond measure. Just think about what that means. Unending acceptance from almighty God. The maker of heaven and earth. Who no longer condemns you. Right? But instead adopts you into his family as sons and daughters. The implications are beyond measure. The great uh, 20th century English preacher, or British preacher I should say. He's Welsh actually. Barton Lloyd-Jones. I don't want to offend the Welsh by calling him English. Um <laughs> Olympics. I don't know. They may, they may really hold to that. I don't know. Most of our troubles, he says, are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse. Most of our troubles are due to our failure to realize the truth of this verse, Romans 8.1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're prone to forget that, there, that there's now no condemnation. And we forget, right? Because we are forgetful people. right? Tim Keller says we suffer from gospel amnesia and we do. We, we forget it all the time. We can't, we can't remember what, what, what Jesus has done for us. Like, we'll leave here, we'll go to lunch, and we won't remember. You, you will have a tendency to forget. We all do. Right? The next time that you're struggling, the next time you're in trouble, the next time you're suffering in any way, ask yourself if I really believe that there was no more condemnation for me, that there's no condemnation for me right now or ever, how would I act differently? How would I respond differently in the midst of this trial, this, this struggle, this, this, this failure of sin in my life? How, how would I respond differently in these areas of conflict with brothers and sisters? How would I respond differently if I really believe that there is now no condemnation for me? And most of the time, if you really think about that, you're going to find you'd react a lot differently. You would act differently all the time. When you forget this, you feel far more guilt, far, far much more guilt and unworthiness and pain than you should. I mean, a good amount of the addictions that, that many people wrestle with, many of us in this room probably wrestle with in some ways, are a result of, of not remembering this truth. Because a lot of those addictions are fed by what? Huge amounts of Shame and guilt, and condemnation that drive us back to these various vices that we try to coat and cover our our pain with. Because we've forgotten. There's no more condemnation. Why do you think it's so hard to take criticism? Says the guy that's easily defensive. Right? (laughs) Truth. Why do I get so defensive? Why do you get so defensive? Because we forget that there's no condemnation. Why is there so much trouble in all of our relationships? Why do we have a hard time forgiving people? As Christ forgave us. We forget. I mean, the, 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 the implications of this just go on and go on and go on. I mean, most of the time we're in fights and conflicts with one another because we, we feel marked some way, right? And that the best way to cover my mark is by boxing you out of my life, right? Or putting you down so I can feel good. We've forgotten. There's no more condemnation. If we remember that, we would know that we we should have all the grace in the world to go and reconcile with our brother and sister, to be united with those who are vastly different with us, to be willing to admit, I'm probably not right about everything, right? Right? Forgetting the truth of this verse leaves you with far less motivation to live a holy life. What's a better motivator? I better like cover up my condemnation and make sure I'm not condemned again or there's no more condemnation. What's a better motivator? To, to honor God, to obey Him, to live your life for Him. If you forget, you're left with far fewer resources for self-control. Right? If you don't understand no condemnation, you can only obey God out of fear or out of a sense of of duty. But that's not nearly as powerful a motivation as love and gratitude, knowing that he's taken it all for you. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he shared this helpful illustration that the difference between an unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning is the difference between a man transgressing the laws of the state and a husband who has done something he should not do in his relationship with his wife. He is not breaking the law, he is wounding the heart of his wife. That is the difference. It is no longer a legal matter, it is a matter of personal relationship and love. The man does not cease to be the husband legally in that instance. Law does not come into the matter at all. In a sense, it is now something much worse than legal condemnation. I would rather offend against a law of the land objectively outside me than hurt someone whom I love. In that case, you have sinned, of course, but you have sinned against love. You may and you should feel ashamed, but you should not feel condemnation because to do so is to put yourself back under the law. In other words, what he's saying here is if we simply look at God's commands as laws to obey outside of us, apart from this relationship of love that he's invited us into by taking the condemnation for us. It's far less a motivator. I mean, we're not going to really care as much about that. You won't feel the weight of your sin the way you even should, and you won't feel the motivation of grace the way that you should either. Violating someone you deeply love goes far deeper. Not because you're condemned because of that, But because you've wounded someone who loves you, who cares for you, who provides for you in every way. When you understand the gospel, when you understand that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is an abiding love and gratitude and joy that motivates obedience. That's much more powerful. In John 8, there's a beautiful example of Jesus using this verse essentially, on someone. It's the woman caught in adultery. Uh, Hopefully you know the story, but if not, go read John 8. Read the story there. Jesus gets rid of all the accusers who are accusing her in her sin, and then he looks at the woman and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, we need to understand that in our world that we live in today, there's a variety of approaches to sin. Right? Our culture, which has no understanding of sin at all, right? Kind of the liberal approach of the culture, not liberal politically, liberal biblically, culturally, would just tell us, you haven't sinned. It's no sin. If you felt good about it, it's not sin, right? It was right for you, right? So there's no sin, you're not condemned. Do whatever you want. That's what the culture would tell you. The conservative approach, again, not politically, politically. But biblically, kind of overly conservative approach of the legalist. Not the biblical approach, I should say. You have sinned and you are condemned. You better get your act together. You You better straighten up so that you won't be condemned anymore. You better fix this. But Jesus comes and he says, what does he say? He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In other words, you have sinned. You've sinned greatly but I don't condemn you. I've taken the condemnation in your place. I've taken your sin for you. I was made to be your sin on the cross for you. I've paid your debt. I've paid the penalty, right? He paid it all for you. There's no more condemnation. Jesus doesn't say, go and sin no more so that I won't condemn you. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you catch that? That's the gospel. Right? That's the gospel. He's, he's like, now that you know that I don't condemn you, that's what will transform your heart. That's what will enable you and empower you to go and sin no more. That's the gospel. There's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Abide in that truth. right? Rejoice in that truth. Live out of that truth. right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the day. We thank you for this glorious truth that be it May it grab a hold of our hearts more deeply that we would know that there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May that be the motivator for our obedience, your grace, your mercy, that we are not condemned, that we are accepted, Lord. May we long to love you and serve you out of great love, great gratitude, great joy in what you've already done for us. And may we live for your glory, and for the good of many people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.